Amen. This morning, uh, I'm going to be continuing with this, uh, the series that we've been doing uh, for a number of uh, weeks now, possibly a couple of months, uh, and it's uh, a Daring Faith series. It's, it's, it's Daring Us in Our Faith, and the title of my message this morning is Daring to Commit. Daring to Commit. See, our life is actually shaped by our commitments. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. We actually become whatever we are committed to. If we're committed to nothing, then we're going to be committed to nothing. We will become nothing. This morning, I want to ask a question, and uh, there is a brand new... Who loves pods? This is a, uh, a great uh, question for you this morning. I want to ask the question, uh, the first person to put their hand up and answer correctly wins the packet of pods. Wins the packet of pods. Who wants to win a packet of pods this morning? Did you know the answer? Okay, that's, I haven't asked the question yet. Okay, that wasn't the, that wasn't the question. All right, so... Who can tell me who Guai Gon Jin is? Guai Gon Jin. Danny? Star Wars. So he is a... He's a... Did you put your hand up? Oh, I didn't put his hand up. Nick, Nicholas, yes? Give Nicholas a hand. There you go, mate. Gwaigon Jin is a Jedi master. And you're thinking, what on earth has that got to do with daring to commit? Well, I was uh, uh, taking some time out uh, in the last couple of weeks and uh, I just happened to uh, put on a DVD and it was called Star Wars and the Phantom Menace. And uh, one part of this film where Gwaigon Jin, the Jedi Master, is talking to little Anakin Skywalker. And he leans down and he says, he says this. He says, your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. And that just gripped me right there. You know, in the middle of this movie, and I, I sort of like lost track of the movie for the rest of that, because I just went down this thought line of what this uh, Gwaigon Jin, this Jedi master, has said to, to young uh, Anakin Skywalker. And there's a bit of truth to what he said. There's a little bit of truth that, you know, whatever it is that we're focused on or committed to is what we're going to become like. Dr. Mike Murdoch, the author of the 101 Keys, uh, Wisdom Keys, he says the only reason men fail is through broken focus. And he goes on to say that the enemy of our lives, this, his sole purpose is to break our focus so that we lose focus of who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives. His whole purpose is to stop us from committing our lives, our resources, our abilities and our wealth to God. That's the purpose of what Satan is all about in our lives. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy from our lives. He wants to break our focus on God. Rick Warren says that our commitments can develop us or destroy us. But either way, they will define us. He goes on to say in another saying, he says, nothing shapes our life more than the commitments we choose to make. Whatever you are committed to, it's your choice. It's our choice of those things that we decide to attach ourselves to. The fact is that many people are actually afraid to make a commitment and it causes them to miss out on some of the greatest things in life. Romans 6 verse 13 says, give yourselves completely to God. 
We're sometimes frightened to do that. We're frightened to step out and give ourselves completely to God and thereby we miss out on some of the greatest things that can ever happen in our lives. I might get stirred up a little bit this morning. But that's okay. I know I'm in a church that's engaged, is leaning in, is taking notes, on your notes. But you know what? There's this thing. In other words, what we're saying here this morning is when we commit ourselves to God, giving ourselves completely to Him, because the thing is we need to understand is He's got a great purpose for us. See, Romans 6.13 says, Give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you, it says, for you've been brought back to life and you want to be tools in the hand of God, used for His good purposes. Who wants to be used for God's good purposes this morning? I think we want to be used for, by God for His good purposes. He's got good purposes for your life. He's got good pur- purposes for the people in our community. He's got good purposes all around. And we need to, to get on board with that. You know, Jeremiah says God knows the good plans He has for you, plans for a hope and a future. Romans 12.1 says, God's shown us His great mercy. Offer your lives then as a living sacrifice to Him. Your offering must be uh, only for God and pleasing to Him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. The way we live is an act of worship. It's a great way to live as an, an act of worship in doing what we do for, uh, for God. Can I say, get, get an amen? I mean, that, that's exactly true, isn't it? Our commitment to God, the giving of ourselves to Him is actually an act of worship. In the giving of ourselves to Him, we actually worship and we glorify God. Our commitment is huge and it impacts more than just the here and the now. It actually impacts our, com- our eternity. Our commitments impact our, our eternity. So this morning I want to give us five commitments that will impact our eternity. Are you ready this morning? Excellent. Number one. First commitment that will impact our eternity is to strengthen our faith, we must unite with others in worship. I, I'm not sure about this, that you're aware of this, but um, this morning... Many of you weren't here at the VIP huddle. We have a VIP huddle. Any volunteer, any person who takes any part in our services is asked to be at our VIP huddle at quarter past nine in the morning. It's a time where we come, back, come together as a team, one team together operating in the different departments of our church, and we have vision, information, and prayer, VIP, vision, information, and prayer. Paul was inspiring this morning. In what he shared with us at our VI, in the vision part of our, uh, our VIP huddle this morning, I was here because you know uh, uh, I needed to be here, obviously. But, but when I heard what Paul shared at our VIP huddle, it lifted me. I was united with others in worship. We came together. You know, I I I, I came out of that that huddle taller, stronger, more energized, more inspired because of what was shared at that. That's what happens when we come together. And that's why Jesus, you know, in, in well, so not Jesus, but the, the writer of Hebrews encourages us together to come together in, in one place because we need to be inspired sometimes. We need to, to have people around about us who lift us to a new level. You know, there's two benefits to worshipping with others. Number one, worshipping with others actually renews my strength. In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. In other words, those who are worshipping on the Lord, they're in a time, an atmosphere or a place of worship to God. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. 
Secondly, worshipping with others restores my joy. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, with, uh, before him singing with joy. There's an area where joy can be expressed. It can be released from our hearts. But we are actually, you know, we, we're, as we're sowing that, we're actually reaping that because we're, we're, we're entering into a place of joy. Because who wouldn't be joyful worshipping God? He's just an incredible God to, to worship, to exalt. You know, uh, At the start of our worship experience each Sunday morning, the first song is not a warm-up song. It's not a warm-up song. It's not the song that we have just to wait for you to arrive because you're a touch late. But I'll be talking to the people at the other church about that. I wouldn't be talking to the people in this church. So, you know, it's... Every song is an important part of our worship to God. But here's the thing. Sometimes I don't feel like worshipping. I've had a rough week and, you know, I've had an argument before I got here. I didn't, but, you know, sometimes we do. I'm not in a good mood to worship. I feel drained. I feel tired by what's happened. And it's in those times that I actually need you. I needed Paul this morning in the VIP huddle. It's those times where... Coming together as a united body with other believers lifts me to another place. It, it, it lifts uh, my faith. It, it lifts me to a place of victory. It lifts me to a place of inspiration, of worship to the King. See, the, the, the truth is this, that if I was left to my own devices and my week was not a good one, it's highly unlikely I'd worship on my own. People say, well, I'll stay at home and I'll worship. Well, my question is, do you? So when I get together with you, either in my connect group, which I believe are absolutely crucial to us as a church and as believers in growing in discipleship with God our Father, with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord Jesus, as we worship here on a Sunday morning, I need you to help strengthen my faith and to help me to restore sometimes my joy in worship. Secondly, the second life commitment is to discover my identity and purpose. In order to do that, I must connect with others in fellowship. We learn who we are only really in the terms of our relationship, in community with other believers, other people. Romans 12 verses 4 to 5 says, we are like the various parts of a human body. It says, each part gets its meaning from Christ's body as a whole, not the other way around. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So it's only in, the, the, uh, in the, the whole thing of coming together as the body of Christ that we actually find out who we are and what we were created for. I thought that was worth an amen. amen. Only in being connected with the body of Christ do we find that identity and purpose. I become connected to the body of Christ by being with it, serving it, supporting it, worshipping together as a part of it and walking through life in it. Anything, any time that we have a, a conflict in our relationships, it affects who we are. That's why conflict is so painful and it's miserable. Because it affects who we are. That's right. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross uh, got us to embrace and that was the end of the hostility. It's an amazing verse. It really is. It's a powerful verse. The thing is, what you need to understand in all of this is 
that uh, before what uh, Christ did, the, only the Jews were allowed in the outer court of the temple. Any other race went in there, they would be killed. You see, it was an exclusive area, was this outer court, the temple. When Jesus came, he actually tore down the dividing wall, the, the, the veil, as it were, the, between the races. He created something completely brand new, where every race is welcome. It's now called the church. It's now called the body of Christ. It's a place that is now inclusive, not exclusive. It's where people are from every walk of life, no matter what your color, no matter your socioeconomic status, you could be a person who lives on the street or you could be a person who lives in a mansion, you are welcome to come to the church, you are to the church, the body of Christ, to be a part of that. But I want to say this morning, though that's an inclusive, wide open, anyone can come to it, there's only one way to, to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one way. In that way, it's exclusive. There's one way, but it is inclusive that the message is for everybody. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of the nations. It's inclusive. The body of Christ, I said this morning, is not on a diet. That's the truth. The body of Christ is not on a diet. There's so many people going on a diet that's trying to lose weight. I'm trying to lose weight. I go running. I go cycling. You know, and I try to, oh, I try to, to, to limit what I eat. But when you've got chips on for the first time this year, in, I might put in an extra 30 seconds on my push bike tomorrow. God's intention has always been that his body is big. See, when Jesus told us to go, when we do, when we, we go, we do. And when we do, we speak. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 to 19 says, Now God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry, everyone say ministry, of reconciliation. And the message, everyone say message, of reconciliation. See, both the ministry and the message are both really badly needed today. The ministry of reconciliation, this word ministry, it's not about a program, it's about a service. Okay, It's about the way that we serve someone else. The, this ministry of reconciliation is such that as we reach out and serve people, as we pay it forward, as we do uh, uncommon acts of outrageous kindness and love to someone, as we're going through McDonald's, we pay for the car behind us. As we're walking through the checkout, we pay for the person's groceries behind us. You know, it's those things that we do. It's in those moments that we actually earn the right to be able to bring the message of reconciliation. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of reconciliation. You're a sinner and need to repent doesn't cut it. Am I going to be honest? You're all right with that? It may be the truth, but that's not going to get you any uh, foot in the door. You need to build relationship. One of the great ways we do that is by doing something for someone in our community. We start to build a relationship. It's not that we're doing that just to be able to speak to them about Jesus, but we want to walk through life with these people. Whether they make a decision for Christ or not, we're going to be there with them through the thick and thin times. Amen. Amen. And our identity in Christ is found in this. Because as we start to do those things, 
There's something on the inside that says to you, I was born for this. I was born to do this. I was born to help meet needs. I was born with this ministry of reconciliation. I was born with a message of reconciliation. I was born to tell someone about Jesus. That's why I'm alive. That's who I am in Christ, to talk to, to people about Jesus. That's, that's the reason that I'm, I'm here on this, this, this earth today. It's because I was born for this. Our identity and our purpose is caught up in this. It's in the fellowship with other people. You know, So it's, it's this whole thing in, in fellowship, in community together with other like-minded people who are part of the body of Christ that we really start to align ourselves with our identity in Christ and discover our purpose for our lives. It's why we need our connect groups. You're going to hear me bang on about connect groups so much because I absolutely believe in the, in the, the whole ethos of our connect groups. You know what? I need my connect group to, so that I can start to discover and drill down on some of this stuff. So I can start to peel back the, the layers like an onion or an ogre, like a green Shrek. You know, I need to peel back the, the layers sometimes of the, the, the false beliefs, the mindsets that I might have that uh, you know, are stopping me from growing closer to God and to, to do what He wants to do in my life. Sometimes you know, we, we hear this message on a Sunday, but we need to be in our connect groups so that we can, through discussion, we can dig that little bit deeper. So we can ask some questions. We can challenge those ideas and those mindsets that we might have in the safety of a connect group. It's that we really start to, to dig deeper in those areas. My question to us is, who are you fellowshipping with us with today? What, what people are you connected to that you're actually starting to walk this out? Praise God. But we need a group of people, a connect group, a ministry group that we can get together with and start to drill down on this. Why not take the step of daring faith today and make a decision to become a part of a connect group, to seek one out, to say, I'm joining that connect group. I'm going to commit myself to it. I'm going to commit myself to those people. I want to learn to be like Jesus. I want to walk through life with people who are going to help me to do that. Amen? Amen. Those people that were saying, I'm going to do that, those little people that said, amen, all the ones that were quiet, I saw who you were. (sighs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to challenge you to do it. I'm going to challenge you to do it. And I guarantee you this. You'll never regret joining a connect group. If it's a really good, if it's a connect group where you can share who you are in safety, people who challenge you, they don't just tell you what you want to hear. That's a social club. Come on. Come on. But people who actually challenge them stuff, I guarantee you, you'll never look back. You will grow exponentially because you're around a group of people that love you and care about you and tell you like it is. We need those people. We need those people, church. We need those people. Third commitment. To develop my potential, I've got to learn from others to grow. There are some things that we can't learn on our own. And it's only in the the context of community that we can learn those things. You see, I can't learn to love unless I'm with other people. I can't learn to be kind unless I'm kind to someone. I can't learn to be unselfish unless I'm with people. 
I can't demonstrate loyalty. I can't release forgiveness. I can't be gracious or I, I can't live in faithfulness to my spouse or my family or my church unless I'm joined together with them. Ephesians 4.16 says, Christ's body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. The body of Christ is here to help us all to grow. God wired us to need each other and to help each other. Jesus said in in, uh, Matthew 6.33, he said, but seek first. Everyone say, seek first. What are we seeking first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What's God's kingdom? Romans 14 verse 17 says God's kingdom isn't about eating and drinking. He says it's about pleasing God, living in peace and experiencing true happiness. All this comes from the Holy Spirit. You might ask, where is God's kingdom? Well, it's wherever Jesus is king. See, daring faith is about building God's kingdom on earth, about becoming a disciple of Jesus. One of the greatest ways to learn from others is to be connected with them and to walk through life as a part of a connect group. Wow, there's that word again. How about that? One of the greatest and most effective ways of discipleship is a part of a small group, a connect group. Learning to release the kingdom of God within us, from within us, to those around about us. To learn to get on with each other. To be nice. Be nice, Christians. (laughs) Be a nice Christian. Number four, a commitment that brings about an eternal impact. To experience significance, I must serve with others in ministry. Who wants their life to count? We all do. I don't want to be a flash in a pan. I, just, I don't want to be someone who... You know, no one remembers. I I want my life to count. We all do. So if I want my life to experience significance, then I've got to start to serve others in ministry. See, significance doesn't come from our status, salary, sex. It comes from our service. It it comes from what we do for other people. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. We've been shaped for significance and a life of fulfillment. Ministry, service, it's the path to meaning in life. It really is. Mark chapter 8 verse 35, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. God's got a lot to say about serving and ministry together. In Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 12, it says, Two people are always better than one because by working together, they get more done. Everyone say, they get more done. He says, it goes on, he says, if one falls down, the other can help him up. Everyone say, the other can help him up. But it is the bad, it is the bad, it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help, uh, to help them. If two lie down together, they can share the same blanket. Everyone say, share the same blanket. And they stay warm. But a person alone will not be warm. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. And a rope that's woven 
of three braids is hard to break. See, that passage there actually gives us three powerful things that happen when we work together, when we serve together. Number one, we maximize our impact. In verse 9, it says they get more done together. It's why we have a, a value as a church that everything's done as a part of a team. We are a team-orientated church. We maximize our impact when we do things together. Secondly, we minimize our failures. In other words, someone else can help us up. We're here to help and cheer each other on, not to hammer each other down and kick each other while we're down, but to, to lift one another up. Number three, we pool our resources. We can share a blanket together, that passage says. We actually come together, we have greater effect when we do that. Our money goes further when we pull our money together. A drop of a rain or a a snowflake on its own doesn't amount to much. It can't do a great deal on its own. But when you join hundreds and thousands of raindrops together or snowflake together, I've seen floods and blizzards bring a city to its knees. Imagine what we could do together as the people, as the body of Christ... And the significance that we could have when we serve one another together. Jesus recognized that there's no insignificant ministry. He says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of one of these, you did it for me. A glass of water he was talking about. See, last week I spoke about the law of, of, of sowing and reaping. And there's something I didn't actually say last week that I think it fits here this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. It says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, uh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Listen to this. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, listen to this, he says, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or a a free man. What he's saying is this. In other words, he's saying this. Whatever we make happen for someone else, God will make happen for us. Oh, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless Jesus right there. Whatever we make happen for someone else, God will make happen for us. What are we making happen for someone else? In what way are we bringing a life of significance or releasing significance into the world by helping other people do stuff? Whatever we, uh, w- way we serve others, God will make it happen to us. It's a law of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting. It's, it's seed that's sown. The fruit we reap is like the seed that we planted. In, in what ways are we making things happen for others? How are we serving or ministering to others at work? at school, in our homes, here at Infused Church? What are we doing as a part of a a, a group of other people so we're making it happen for them? God is going to make it happen for us. It says in verse 7 specifically, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service, in other words, ministry, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. The way to a fulfilled life, a life of significance, is through making something happen for someone else, serving someone else, ministering to someone else. And if you want to know about a life of fulfillment, then you need to be in a connect group or here at the church as we kick off the series about the four cups, because that will lead us to a life of fulfillment. 
It will talk about it and it will talk about it and it will talk about it. And it's going to be something that is going to really impact us as a church as we walk out there. So who are we making things happen for? Number five, finally. To make an eternal difference, I must join with others on mission. To make an eternal difference, I must join with others on a mission. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, we've said it before already this morning, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you, Jesus said. God gave us a mission. We've got a mission. This is why we're planning a missions trip to Israel in October, November this year. It's not just a sightseeing tour, but an opportunity to make an eternal difference in the lives of school children in a poor area in Jerusalem. We will be actually doing a missions focus uh, to a group of people as we go on this particular tour. It's built into the tour. If you want to know what the tour is like, look at the last page of your notes. That is the proposed uh, draft itinerary for October, November and the tour over to Israel later this year. Jane and I will be on this tour. We are intending fully to be a part of this tour. We'd love to take people from the church. I believe, you know, when we went to, to, to the Middle East only uh, maybe a couple of years ago, the Bible came alive. When we're we walking down streets where Jesus and the disciples have been, where you, you've read parts of the Bible and it, it affects you. You, know, you can actually see yourself walking there. Now, when I read the Bible, I remember back to those things. And I remember like thinking about Nazareth. I'm thinking it's just like this small little village with little huts and stuff like that. And, and I thought it was like in, a, in, this, in this great big plain somewhere. It's not. It's on the side of a mountain, on the side of the great big hill thing. It's a massive city. See, we're planning a Heart for the House offering to come up in August to make an eternal difference with this house. That's why we have a playgroup and a community garden. We're committed to making an eternal difference through our mission. This is why we have connect groups and we're start, going to start look at launching a grow ministry where we do acts of kindness for people in our community, whether it's gardening, it's repairs, it's others focused or a drink of water. We're going to go out into our community and make a difference. Why? Because we want to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. And some of you may be struggling this morning in this Daring Faith series. You may be struggling in particular with these five commitments that I've shared with you this morning. My question is this. Will you trust God in the five big issues of your life? In these five issues, will you trust God? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 says, They gave beyond their ability, more than we expected and far more than they could afford. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. See, the thing is this, church. If we will settle that first issue of giving ourselves unreservedly to God, the rest is a cinch. The rest is easy. The rest will flow out of that because we've given ourselves unreservedly to God. My question to us this morning is this. 
Have you given yourself to God unreservedly? Have you held no part of your life back from God? Have you given yourself completely to God? See, when we give ourselves unreservedly to God, we will do this. We will unite with others in worship and strengthen our faith. When we give ourselves unreservedly to God, we will connect with others in fellowship and discover our identity and purpose. You see, when we give ourselves unreservedly to God, we will learn from others and grow, developing our potential. See, when we give ourselves unreservedly to God, we will serve with others in ministry and experience significance. And we will, when we give ourselves unreservedly to God, join with others on a mission and make an eternal difference. My question to us is this. Will you dare to commit to give yourselves unreservedly to God this morning? Because you trust Him. Don't trust me, trust Him. In Jesus' name, let's stand.